We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. A timely message, uh, especially in a period of economic uncertainty and a time of inflation where we're all paying more, not just at the pump, but it seems like everywhere else, a time of shortage. I want to preach to you today on the Lord of our daily bread. At 19 years old, Bruce Olson left for the mission field deep in the mountainous jungles of Columbia. He felt as he was called by the Lord to attempt a breakthrough with a hostile and superstitious people, the Molotoni Indians, a group that was deemed by many mission organizations as unreachable. Well, during his quest to the Multiloni village, Bruce Olson was captured by another hostile tribe of Indians. He was shot with arrows and badly injured. He was able to escape from their camp late at night. And yet he trudged through a thick jungle looking for a way back to civilization. He followed a river downstream for four days, hoping that it might lead to civilization. He was delirious with fever, which sapped his strength. He hadn't eaten anything, and he was barely hanging on by thread. That's when Bruce Olson uttered a Gethsemane-type prayer, a desperate prayer, a foxhole prayer. He wrote in his book, On the afternoon of the fifth day, I wearily dropped into a seat between two huge boulders. I looked at my fingernails blue from the cold water and my hands pale as a sheet. My whole body groaned with pain. My stomach ached with hunger. I started to shake and I couldn't stop. I wondered, could I go on any further? I didn't see how. I needed food and rest, he wrote. And as I looked into the distance, I saw something bright and yellow that seemed to be bobbing up and down on the surface of the river I was following. I thought I was delirious. (laughs) Was it a mirage? I rubbed my eyes, and then soon it came into focus as it floated downstream. Bobbing along with the current was a stalk of bananas. (laughs) Grabbed them as they floated by, and I couldn't believe it. They were ripe too, and right on time. I ate them slowly, and I felt them giving me new strength and hope, Bruce Olson wrote. And so he got up, walked another mile, stumbled into a village. He was nursed back to health, and yes, eventually he did reach the Molotoli Indians with the gospel. But what a story of the Lord of our daily bread. Whether it's bananas in a river or loaves and fishes, the Lord knows how to prepare a table in the wilderness. In the days of Moses, as the children of Israel wandered there for 40 years in no man's land, God sent them manna with the morning dew. Then you'll remember in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, as Elijah's stomach began to growl there beside the brook Kareth, Why, the Lord air mailed him biscuits on the wings of a raven. (laughs) He is the God of our daily bread. And so it is no accident this morning 
that we come to the signature miracle of our Lord where He is feeding a multitude with just a little boy's sack lunch. In fact, this miracle is so spectacular that it's the only one, besides the resurrection, which caught the attention of all four gospel writers. And if you're keeping track, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, this is John's fourth sign miracle. Now remember, each sign miracle that we have looked at has addressed a different need that we face in our lives. For example, the first miracle where Jesus turned the water into wine. That deals with our disappointments. Then, when He healed the nobleman's son in chapter 4, Jesus shows that He deals with our doubts. When we come to the next miracle, Him healing the paralytic by the pool in chapter 5, that shows that Jesus is sovereign over our disabilities. And then today, as we come to chapter 6, feeding the 5,000, we notice how Jesus meets our desires. He is the Lord of our daily bread. Now, as we revisit this famous story, it's so well known, and I think I've preached on it several times. I know you've probably heard it your whole Christian life. But I want you to see something unique today, because here we have an instance in which Jesus uses an impossible problem to test the faith of His disciples. And inevitably, as you walk with Christ, at some point in your life, you are going to face a problem of epic proportions that's outstripped you, that you have no answers for, and that will force you to rely and depend upon God in a new way. And what we learn in this well-known miracle is how God uses problems to deepen our faith in at least three ways. So I want you to notice number one this morning as we pick up John chapter 6 verse 1. Notice this. God uses problems to test our perspective. God uses problems to test our perspective. Notice verse 1. And after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? And he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Notice the skepticism. God uses problems to test our Perspective. Now, I mentioned that this story is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. There's details that are unique to each writer. And if you take what Matthew says, Mark, Luke, and John put it together, you get a complete picture of the context of this miracle. Now, Mark 6, 35 and Luke 9, 12 tells us how the hunger pains of the crowd was compounded by the lateness of the day. It was evening. The sun was about to set. The Bible says there was about 5,000 men there. 
The miracle actually is probably a miracle of 20,000 or 25,000 when you factor in the women and the children. Can you imagine what a chorus of 5,000 groaning stomachs would have sounded like? I, I can't imagine, but I know what Baptist bellies sound like as the service drags on. <laughs> By the way, I don't know how you are. I don't do very well with hunger. I don't just get hungry, I get hangry. That's a mixture of hunger and anger. If you don't believe me, just ask my precious wife. She's used to getting a text about 3.30 or 4 o'clock, what's for dinner? <laughs> but you see that if you keep reading this, if you read it in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 15, the disciples say, send the people away, Lord. They don't have any compassion on the people. Hunger is setting in. Many of you uh, probably got the devotional this week where I told the story in there about when I was about 10 or 12 years old and my family visited a church that was having the Lord's Supper and uh, this church did it very differently than what we were used to. We were used to the, you know, the deacons coming around with the plate and they're serving everybody and you take your little square of bread and your little cup of juice and you're happy. And Well, this church was doing something different. They had the minister up front and people filed down to come and receive the communion from the minister. And man, I was so hungry that morning. I'll tell you what, my stomach was growling probably like some of yours is right now. And uh, I started looking at that minister. I thought, wow, this is different. He had a platter. And on the platter, he had a whole big loaf of bread. And I started noticing people. They were walking down. And, and it was like, I don't know, just pick your size. You got to go down and, and, and get your own pinch of bread. Well, when my turn came, I thought, you know what? I'm pretty hungry. And we, we're visiting this church. We may not be coming back, so I don't know how long this is going to last. I came down the front, and man, I just yanked off a big old chunk of that bread, probably about the size of a softball, and if you could have seen the face of that minister, oh, it was shock and awe. He didn't know what to say. And I went back to my seat, just gnawing on that piece of bread. <laughs> I don't do well with hunger. Neither do these folks. Not only was there a problem of the lateness of the day, but Matthew 14, 13 says there was a difficulty with the location. It was a desolate place. There wasn't any drive-through that they could find. And then the, the crowds who gathered to hear Jesus, the Bible says they were some distance away from the town of Bethsaida. It was a long walk into town to get something to eat so you have location and lateness and then there was a third factor which Philip and Andrew are so good to point out to us it was the problem of limitations this is where we hear from Philip and Andrew for the uh, second or third time in our gospel here but it's interesting that we compare their reactions they had different perspectives on the problem and isn't it that way when you approach a problem everybody kind of looks at it from a, a different angle but both of them agreed it was impossible Philip looks at the problem and he says Lord it can't be done it's going to take too much even if we had a, a year's supply of sour that's not enough money to go out and buy enough bread to meet the need and then on the other end of the perspective you have Andrew who is looking at the same thing but he's looking at the little boy's lunch and says this is all we have and it's not enough to Meet the need. By the way, that's a recipe for a miracle. When you look at a problem from every conceivable angle 
and you don't see a way that it can be solved. I've often used the saying that everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to be in a situation where you actually need one. Well, this was impossible. At some point, you've been in an impossible. Every one of us has wondered, how are we going to make that measly paycheck stretch through the week to the next payday? Amen? Sometimes it feels like you are trying to feed the masses. There's the mortgage. There's the clothes for the kids. There's gas for the car. There's the unexpected doctor bill. You can look at a problem from every human angle possible and not see it God's way. You see, Philip looked at the crowd and not at Christ. Andrew looked at the loaves and not the Lord. And they both missed something in this. Their math was right, but their theology was pitiful. (laughs) Right? They both left Jesus out of the equation. And when problems arise in life, friend, and we leave God out of the picture, the crisis always looks a lot bigger than it really is. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus is wise enough to let them struggle with the problem. He lets them search out their own mind and their own faith for a solution. So you ask yourself today, what problems are you facing? What what test has come to you in disguise? Is it an insurmountable debt? Is it an addiction that you can't break free from? Is it... Trouble with parenting? Is it sickness? Is it an unknown future? Friend, the only way that you get the testimony is you have to go through the test. And God uses problems to test our perspective. Who are we focusing on? Us, our resources, our ability, our means? Or are we looking at what God can truly do? I love the old movie Apollo 13. Well, it's, it's old now. Uh, I keep getting reminded by the youth group that I am getting older because I'll be teaching and I'll reference a movie that came out when I was a kid and I think it's relevant. And I ask them, have you seen that movie? And they're like, no, you're old. Stop. (laughs) But Apollo 13, I remember when that movie came out when I was a kid and it follows the story of the in-flight explosion that occurred there upon the spacecraft. It was started out as a mission to the moon, but they had a calamity on board, a little malfunction, an explosion, and all of a sudden the mission now turns into a rescue where they've got to figure out a way to get Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Gary Sinise back home. They slingshot around the earth, and they tell that wonderful story. If you haven't seen the movie, you need to. But there's a great moment in that picture where NASA officials are giving the bad news to the media, and they start talking about all the problems and all the things that have gone wrong and one of the NASA uh, media people says I know what the problems are and this may be the worst disaster ever in NASA's history and that's when somebody else in the organization overhears and he pops in he says with all due respect I believe this is going to be our finest hour What a difference in perspective. As you look at your problems, you can say, this is going to be an epic disaster or this is going to be God's finest moment when He meets the need and comes through for me in a way like I have never seen before. 
And friend, when we're in that problem, God tests our perspective. Do you have a big God or do you have a little God? Where's your view at? The question is, we get to choose that perspective. It'll either be a disaster or it'll be an opportunity for God to move in a way that will be memorable. And problems are a prerequisite for a miracle. And I'm glad today that I can say to you that our God still specializes in the impossible. The chief problem here wasn't necessarily the lack of food. As we know, it was the lack of faith. Problems tell us if we believe, though, like I said, in a big God or a small God. And the ironic thing is, these guys had already seen Jesus do some amazing things. They'd already seen him turn the water into wine. He'd already healed the sick. He'd already calmed a storm and done one miracle after another. And yet, don't we have the same weakness? We get into a new season of life. We face a new problem. We go down a road we've never been before. And yet, we tend to panic. Why? Because we forget the faithfulness of God. So we see... Number one, that God uses problems to test our perspective. Then I want you to notice this. Number two, God uses problems to teach new potential. To teach new potential. Verses 8 and 9, notice, we'll read it again. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they? Among so many. By the way, Andrew, the disciple of small things, every time you see him in the Gospel of John, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. And in this case, he brings the hero, the little hero, this boy with a sack lunch. So the disciples look at this problem from every perceivable angle except the one that was right in front of them. Isn't it interesting the way that God will use the very thing that is in plain sight? To be the source of provision for us. They missed the potential of a sack lunch because they thought it's too small. And we can't really blame them because if we were in that situation, we would have the same deduction. I mean, think about what this kid brought to the table. Five tortillas and two sardines. Probably even not enough for a fish taco. That's a snack. And yet, what is remarkable is that he gave what he had. Amen? And what this boy's lunch shows us is exactly what the hymn writer was talking about. Little is much when God is in it. There's no gift too small that Jesus can't use. There's no person too small that Jesus can use. I know some people who are too big that God can't use them. But notice this, friend. Anything we give to Jesus... No matter how small, no matter how insignificant, no matter how weak it might be, He can multiply it, use it, and bless it in superabundance. Love what Max Cicado wrote about this. He says, all you have is a wimpy prayer. All you have is a meager skill. All you have is $2. Give it to Jesus. God can take a small thing and do a big thing. God used the whimper of a baby Moses to move the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. He used the faulty memory of an ex-con to deliver Joseph from the prison and send him to the palace. He used David's sling and a stone to overthrow the mighty Goliath. 
And if God can turn a basket into a buffet with food to spare, don't you think He can do something with your life, with your five loaves and two fishes of faith? Here's one thing I know about being tested and about learning to trust God. It's this. If it stays in my hands, nothing happens. But if I put it in His hands, nothing is impossible. You see, as long as it stays with me, I can't bless it, I can't multiply it, I can't do anything supernatural with it, but if I will give it to Jesus, oh friend, what He can do. love what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Oftentimes we will sing that hymn, Little as much when God is in it. There's a great, amazing story behind the history of that hymn. And it, it, it dovetails perfectly with this miracle of provision here. Here's how that hymn came to be wrote. Listen to this. In the late 1800s, one cold, stormy winter evening in Canada, a bachelor named Fred Sheffield was cozy in a small cabin riding out a snowstorm when a frantic knock at his door disturbed him. Answering the door, he found a man chilled to the bone. The man explained that he was from a train that had stalled a few miles away and the passengers were in danger of freezing to death. Would this Mr. Sheffield be willing to open up his home for shelter? Of course, he consented. The man hurried to the side of the train and his little home was crowded. In that modest college provided hospitality the best he could through the blizzard until they could get the train moving again. Well, one of the passengers that Fred Sheffield met was a young lady named Kitty. They struck a romance up. They started calling and sending letters back and forth, and soon they got married. Sometime later, they moved to Ottawa. They were led to salvation. They began to attend a local church. As they matured in their faith, they became choir leaders and little Kitty Suffield wrote the words to a song called Little Is Much based on the many times they had seen God meet their need. One evening as Kitty was playing the piano teaching her hymn to the church, she heard something in a young man's voice. She asked him to sing alone. He didn't want to. We never do, do we? She persuaded him, and over time he developed a rich baritone voice and found his confidence enough to sing in front of the church. And that young man was George Beverly Shea, America's beloved gospel singer who eventually joined Billy Graham in his ministry in 1947. He served until his death in 2013. He died at the ripe old age of 104. And it is said that George Beverly Shea sung before more people than any other person in history And he wrote that hymn that we all love, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Now think of it. Little as much when God is in it. One act of kindness opened the door and that led to marriage and then one faithful witness led to a salvation and then one engagement led to a gospel singer who would touch millions and millions of lives. But that whole thing began with a problem. Will you open up your door and let these poor cold people in? And yet look at all the potential that came from that one little act of kindness. And God did 
the rest. Friend, I'm asking you today, what do you need to put in God's hands? Is it your finances? Is it your future? Is it your talent and your gifts? Is it your shortage? Is it your sin that you need to place in the hands of a miracle supernatural God? Well, we see that number one, God uses problems to test our perspective. Are we a big godder or a small godder? Then we see number two, that God uses problems to teach us new potential. And then I want you to see today as we close, number three, God uses problems to trust His provision. To trust His provision. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and also the fish as much as they wanted. Not needed, as much as they wanted. This was Thanksgiving afternoon. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he said to the disciples, gather up those leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. As Jesus does this miraculous meal, we notice that he provides... And he asked us to trust also in his provision. In the fishes and the loaves, there's at least five lessons. And I'll go very quickly about how God provides. Notice in verse 11, he provides in thankfulness. Notice that little verse. And when he had given thanks. Isn't that interesting to you? The Son of God giving thanks to Father God, his heavenly Father. He not only gives thanks for these scraps of food, later at the tomb of Lazarus, he gives thanks before he raises him from the dead. And at the Last Supper, he gives thanks. You know, there's an interesting principle that you may notice in life. Thankful people are contented because they focus on what they do have rather than what they don't have. Let me ask you, friend, can you be thankful to God before the provision arrives? Can you be delighted in what God has provided even before He pays the bill, even before He answers the prayer, even before He heals that sick body? Can you give thanks to Him in advance? He provides in thankfulness. Then notice this, He provides in brokenness. Mark 6, 41, we'll lean on this verse. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and said, A blessing, and watch this, He broke the loaves. And gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Mark gives us this little detail that Jesus broke the loaves up. In order for the bread to be multiplied, it had to first be broken. And do you know that all the way through the Old Testament and New, God uses brokenness as a source of blessing? I love what Vance Havner, the old southern evangelist, wrote. He said, quote, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth 
the perfume. And notice this, there's no wasted leftovers in the equation. God will not waste the broken pieces of our lives either. Maybe that's all that you have to give Him today. Your brokenness. Your messed up situation. Your sin problem. Your past. Whatever it might be. Friend, you can hand over the broken fragments of your life. And Jesus can do something amazing with it. It can be multiplied and blessed and anointed to go out and minister to others in ways that you never dreamt it could. Give God your weakness. Give God your brokenness. Give God the little leftover scraps of your life and say, Lord, if you can do something with it, it's yours. We've seen God do so many mighty things in my family's life and testimony. I sat around the table of Joe McCarson, for goodness sakes. We heard time and time again stories of how, how God met the need. And how God blessed, even coming up as a kid. I can remember my daddy telling a story. He had his own business. Uh, it used to be over on Church Street, and then it was over on Brevard Road, but Furniture Repair Works. And you've never really had a prayer life, I guess, until you've been a small business owner. <laughs> Somebody say amen. But Dad told this story where by Friday he had to have a lot of money, thousands of dollars to make payroll and make bills and all the things that you keep you up late at night as a small business owner. I mean, I don't remember the exact amount, but I know that it was well into the thousands. And Dad told the story that by Friday, the money wasn't there. They were still short thousands and thousands of dollars. So he'd been praying all that week that God would meet the need. And, and then Friday came and the doors opened for business and somebody brought in a check to pay for a bill. And then by lunch, somebody had, had called in something else and it started to trickle in. But then by about the time it was getting down to the end when the deadline had to be met, the mail hadn't come yet. And I remember my daddy telling the story that he went out to the mailbox. And as he opened that mailbox, he opened it up and there was one envelope after another. Check after check after check. And the exact amount that was needed to meet the bill that day, <laughs> it all came in. Why? Because he's a faithful God. He's a good God. He's a providing God. He provides in brokenness. He provides in thankfulness. He provides in, watch this, faithfulness. Matthew 14, 19, I love what it says here. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Watch this. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. You notice what happened here? Jesus worked this miracle through the hands of the disciples. A lot like that first miracle of turning the water into wine. As they filled up those water pots, it was transformed. But notice this, Jesus employed the disciples to be part of the miracle. What do you think Philip and Andrew thought as they had assessed the situation and it just kept multiplying and it kept breaking and they kept serving? Friend, this gives me great encouragement today because oftentimes all God asks us to do 
is the simple thing that he's asked us to do. And then he can do what only he can do. I can't save souls, but I can preach the gospel. I can't heal sick bodies, but I can pray. I can't make the church grow, but I can serve. And yet in faithfulness and doing the little thing that God has called me to do, just as the disciples work this miracle out to the people, God adds His blessing, God adds His supernatural ability to it. Haven't we seen God do that here in this ministry just this year? Man, I'm constantly blown away by the things that I see God doing in this church. I shouldn't be surprised because it's exactly what I prayed for, right? But yet God meets the need time and time again. I sent out that message a couple weeks ago that uh, we had over a hundred on a Wednesday night. Praise God! Did you see all the little children running around in the gym and crawling all over the the playground? (laughs) Amen! The church is supposed to be dying, by the way. That's what the world tells us. Nobody wants to go to church anymore. We're supposed to be suffering under this regime and there's not supposed to be hope in the world. There is in this place where the gospel is still being preached and people are still seeing the power of God. Buses running. (laughs) Tithes coming in. God is blessing. And you know what's interesting about that? I can remember years ago starting to, to take prayer life seriously and I walked through every single classroom in that family life center God I'm asking you in your miracle working power fill up this classroom with people who are hungry to hear the word of God and Caitlin comes to me later on that night and she said I had so many in my classroom I had to split them up and we had to take them out to the picnic table because my God is still answering prayer all we did was stay faithful All we did was keep teaching. All we did was keep praying. All we did was keep serving. And look at what God is doing. On Easter Sunday, seven baptisms. I'm not trying to puff out my chest and brag on me. I'm bragging on Him. As a miracle working God. And I'm telling you, just stay faithful to what God's asked you to do. He'll add His blessing. He'll multiply it. And it'll go out in super abundance and come back in ways... Oh, I never thought it would. That's my God. He provides also in lavishness. Look at this, verses 6 and uh, verses 12 and 13. They gathered them all up and filled the baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Reality, like I said, the crowd was probably 15,000, 20,000 when you take into account The women and the children. And on top of that, 12 doggy bags for the disciples to take home. Let let me tell you, friend, God never does anything halfway. He's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills, He owns the silver and the gold, He owns it all. Why should I worry and why should I fret? He is able to do far more abundantly than what we think or ask. And the disciples took a lesson with them. 
They took their own basket of food with them and they kept enjoying, kept feeding on the miracle down the road. Friend, I'm telling you that when God meets a need in your life, when God provides, you know it's from Him. You know heaven has opened up and blessed you. You know that He's come to you in a way that only He could do and it has the fingerprints of God on it. I'm telling you that when God meets the needs, you will go away from it and your soul will continue to feed and be nourished on the blessing that He gave you. You know why? Because he'll give you a testimony. And that testimony is like that extra basket that the disciples could carry along. And you take that with you through your life and you can use it time and time again. You can reflect on it. Oh, let me tell you when there wasn't enough money and God met the need. Let me tell you when God healed my sick loved one. Let me tell you when I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the answers, and I never thought my prodigal son or daughter would come home. Oh, but God, He multiplied it. He did a miracle. He did something that I didn't think He could do. He met my need, and friend, you can carry that with you throughout life, and as you reflect back on it, your soul continues to feed on it, and you've got something to share with a lost and dying world that's looking for answers and looking for hope. Has anybody lived that before? Or am I just preaching to me today, huh? Friend, I've seen too much. I've seen God meet too many bills. I've seen God heal too many sick bodies. I've seen God resurrect too many dead souls. I've seen it and I believe it and I know that my God is the God of our daily bread. Oh my. Provides in lavishness and faithfulness and brokenness he provides in thankfulness, and then notice this, He provides in fullness. If you keep reading on in our text, John 6, 35, it leads up to Jesus' great I am statement. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. You see, all of this miracle was poured into the fact that Jesus is really the only one who can sustain us. Jesus is really the only one who can meet the deepest need to man's hunger problem, not just physically, but spiritually. You see, because everybody out there is searching for something to fill the void in their life. They're looking for it in pleasure. They're looking for it in power. They're looking for it in money. They're looking for it in a relationship or an experience. But how many of you know all of that's like eating cotton candy? And we try to fill ourselves up with the things of the world and the promises of the enemy and we're left wanting. And the only one who can sustain us, the only one who can forgive us, the only one who can meet our need is Jesus Christ. That's why He said, I am the bread of life. You don't have a problem that Jesus can't solve. <laughs> you do not have a hunger that Jesus cannot satisfy. I finish with this. Talking about my little extra basket that I carry away. I carry this one as long as I live. A few years ago, pre-COVID, one of our mission trips to Honduras, we were going that year to do a food ministry. We witnessed a manna-like miracle. What we were doing that year primarily was we were going into the villages working with our missionary and they had taken our donation and bought dried rice, dried beans, and corn. 
This is the basic diet of the Hondurans there in that nation. And so we loaded up our truck, 25 pounds of rice, beans, and corn for all the households that we were to visit. We would take the food in. We would say, this is a love gift from your friends at Liberty Baptist Church, and we want you to know that Jesus loves you. We'd share the gospel with them. We'd connect them with the missionary. And so we met a physical need so that we could touch a spiritual need. Well, that morning, we, before we headed out, me, Doug Bailey, Jake Reinhardt, we counted out all the bags of food that we would need according to the number of households that we were going to be visiting. I think it was 50. So 50 times 3, that's 150 bags total, right? Each house is getting one. This is what happens when you put Candler boys in charge of math. We went through the whole village. We delivered all of our food. And we got there to the end. And we had three bags left over. Rice, beans, and corn. And I looked at these guys and I said, You guys had one job. <laughs> all you had to do was count it out right. But you know what? God knew what He was going to do. Just like Jesus knew what He was going to do in that miracle. So we went to the missionary. We said, Look, I don't know how we did this. But we got... Extra food left over. What are we going to do? He said, just leave it in the truck. Get in. So we're driving along. And we come to this little hog trail. I mean, this was remote. You talk about being out in the middle of nowhere. It looked like nobody lived down this road. Missionary stops. He says, you know what? I've never gone down this road before. And I always wondered what was down here. Let's take an adventure. Yeah. So he drives us down this little hog trail. I mean, it was off-road mudden. It was hardcore. And we get there to what looks like to be the end of the road. And up on a hill, there's a little shack. A little house made of mud. Held together with plastic and cardboard. I mean, just the saddest little house you've ever seen in your life. And at the door is standing this old, this old mother. We knew we were in for a divine appointment. Our missionary, he said, get that food ready. He said, this is it. So he walked. I walked up to the house with him. We met the mother. We explained everything to her. Hey, we're from Liberty Baptist Church in Candler, North Carolina. We're here to bless you today. We have a gift of food. We want you to know that God loves you, that Jesus died for your sins. And she began to just tear up. I mean, before we could even get the testimony out, she just starts bawling and bawling and bawling. And I asked the missionary, I said, what is she talking about? Why is she so emotional? And the missionary explained to me, this little mother said, but you don't understand. She said, we had just run out of food a couple of days ago. And we were wondering, where's the next meal? Praise God, where's the next meal going to come from? And three redneck boys from Candler, North Carolina, come rolling down this hog trail to meet her need. You tell me he's not the God of our daily bread. There was a little 13-year-old boy right there. He was amazed because he knew what the situation was in his house. I opened my Bible. I turned to John 6, 35. I said, Jesus says he's the bread of life, young man. I said, do you know, do you know Jesus? He, he died for your sins and he rose from the grave and he lived a life that you couldn't. He he loves you and He wants to save you. And, and He was so blown away by what He's seen transpire right there. 
he bowed his knee right there on the cab of that truck. We got in the back of that truck and he knelt down. He prayed in a language that I could hardly understand, but I knew that it was sincere. And that little boy got born again there. Out in the middle of nowhere in Honduras. God met the need. God had us miscount so that we would drive down that road that a missionary had never been to because he knew there was a little mama and a boy that needed a miracle and needed to be saved. But God. Do you know the God of our daily bread? Our musicians are preparing for invitation now. Friend, I don't know what the need is in your life. But hey, I know the God who's big enough that He can meet that need. Whatever it is, sickness or financial, whatever miracle you might need, He's still a miracle working God. And I pray that you would avail yourself to prayer today. Maybe you're lost today. You're, you're undone. You don't know Jesus. He's knocking at your heart's door right now. Would you receive Him as Lord and Savior? Would you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as we stand today? I wonder if you need to do business. Would you meet me down here? Can I pray with you? Can I introduce you to a gracious and great God? Let's be obedient to what God would have you to do right now.